We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. Go to Wix.com and create your website today. It's easy and free. That's Wix.com. Welcome to the Roto-Wire Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code 
Roto Hoops. That's R O T O H O O P S. When you deposit, that'll get you a free contest entry today on DraftKings.com. All right, it is Tuesday, January 12th, the year 2016. Nick Whalen joined, as I always am, on Tuesdays by RotoWire Zone DJ Trainer. Um, our second podcast of the new year. I, were you present for the first one? There was some sort of subbing situation. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I was. I had a lingering Christmas, and so That's right. you hosted with Shannon two That's weeks right. ago. Okay, so we're counting. Apparently, we are counting. This is podcast number two, second, and um, we're on yeah. a roll. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're doing so great. before we before we get into everything, reminder: podcast is available on iTunes. It's available on Stitcher. Please feel free to leave a review on either of those platforms. Let us know if you like it. Let us know if you don't like it. Um, but either way, we want to we want to hear feedback uh, and hear what you guys want to hear discussed. Basically, um, as usual, kind of a grab bag of topics. We'll talk about some of the games from Monday night. A pretty light slate uh, with the college football championship going down Monday night. We'll talk about uh, some of Tuesday's games. Eight games in the NBA, headlined by the Bucks Bulls round two, second meeting in a week. Uh, <laughs> I know maybe I care a little bit more about that one than yes, you, do, you do, DJ. We're going to redraft uh, the top ten picks of the 2015 draft. Uh, this is something that I think we're finally to the point in the year that you're starting to get a look at a lot of these rookies and see, you know, maybe what the long-term outlook will be a little bit more clearly, at least than than we did back in June. So we'll do that, and of course we'll finish out with trivia as always. So I think it's my turn to to ask the question. So you better start preparing. You're on the hot seat. Yeah, you you phrased that wrong. It's it's my turn to look stupid this week. Right after you embarrassed me uh, in the past week. So we're basically just trading. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, trying to, to to prove each other's NBA knowledge and just failing miserably at it each week. Yep, you're holding the tomatoes this week. I'll hold them next week, essentially. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some of the the topics from last night. The Heat stuck with Golden State, played the Warriors tough, ultimately not able to pull it off. Uh, I mean, was this a game that you caught any of, or were you locked in on Alabama Clemson? Well, there was a sweet spot of about four minutes left in the game where I switched it over after the title was over, national championship was over watch the end of this game and so at that point the Warriors just pulled away like they always did but in reality um you know I'm just looking at box scores today because I was I was locked on the national championship game I'm not gonna lie to anybody yeah so was I uh, I mean like I'm not, <laughs> certainly not gonna lie about that at all um yeah I mean that was an unbelievable game and we'll leave it to the college football experts to to break that one down but that was that was that lived up to the hype and more. I think I, I think when Derrick Henry broke off that that run in the first quarter for the first touchdown of the game, you know, you started thinking, here we go. I mean, we've seen Alabama dominate title games before, like they did against Notre Dame in in twenty twelve, and it kind of looked like that situation might might arise again. But uh, Deshaun Watson, pretty pretty good at football, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that team comes back. But we'll get back to the NBA. Um, the Spurs kept it rolling last night. Uh, they hold the best differential ever at this point in the season. So the Warriors have the best record ever at this point in the season, but they have the best differential uh, as those two teams kind of continue to be in a tier of their own with Cleveland starting to make some noise. We'll talk about them in a bit. But this is eight straight wins now for San Antonio since that uh, shocking, I think it's fair to say, shocking loss to Houston sure. on Christmas Day. Um, so, I mean, they, this is this is not surprising by any means, that's for sure. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, are the – have the the Spurs closed the gap between them and the Warriors at all this season, or was the what, what did you like? What was the size of that gap? I guess. Well, this I mean they're down by four games right now, but right. they've they've been there the whole year. Nobody has yeah. talked about the Spurs, but they've still, like you said, Nick, they're historically one of the best teams of all time, as well as the Warriors are. 
And I wouldn't be surprised. We're starting to see the Warriors kind of stumble into some injuries. We know that they had some coming into the year, and now they're they're still traversing them and doing quite well. But you know what? If the Spurs end up as the number one seed in the Western Conference, nobody should be surprised. Let's be, I mean, let's be clear here. The Spurs are very, very good, but they just happen to be matched up against a team who's historically good. They're both historically good. And so the gap is the exact same that it's been from day one. Yeah, I agree. I don't think the... I don't think the gap is large by any means. I don't think that's that's going out on much of a limb. But at the same time, I don't know. What's more impressive to you, the the rating or the record? Well, the record. I think sex, it's the record. It's sex, I mean, it's sexier. I mean, uh, like we care about ratings like that. I mean, we dive into that. We love stuff like that. But in reality, you're not going to get the casual fan caring about defensive efficiency. Well, casual fan aside, just, I mean, just in, in your opinion, what's more indicative of the better team? You know, is it being 36-2 and two, or is it, you know, having a rating of whatever it is, 12-something? 36 and 2 because you know when the buzzer goes off when the final one goes off did you win did you lose that's the most important thing and so however you got there it doesn't matter did you do it or did you not do it so I'll stick with the Warriors but I will say over the long haul of the season I mean (laughs) that's going to keep posing problems for all teams I can't wait until the Spurs play the Warriors yeah I want I think it's is it later this month already it's no it's uh, is it not till February? Oh, I mean, it's it's got to be coming up. They have two meetings. That's what I was going to say. Uh, well, they play four times. So they play uh, January 25th. Okay. So it is so coming, that's coming up. up. So, yeah, yeah. That's, Sorry, uh, them. Yeah, so a little, I mean, a little, a little over. Here's the best part of that matchup. They do play um, at Oracle, but the Spurs are going to have three days off. And before that, they play Suns-Lakers. And so it's not like yep. we're, it's not a back-to-back against the Cavs and then them. Right. So it, it'll be a true true matchup of of the best two teams in the nba at this at this point in the year yep and after that we have to wait uh until mid-march march March 19th is that second meeting that's back in san antonio and then they play twice in four nights they do a thursday sunday uh home and home for two of the five final games of the year for san antonio so at that point you know those last two are going to be interesting because presumably both of these teams are going to have playoffs sewn up and seating we'll see where, the, where that is at that point um but they could be they could be very meaningful for seating or they could be games where they meet and it's kind of like a week 17 nfl game where you know we, we i think green bay minnesota is somewhat of an example sure. from this past week where it seemed like you know maybe you're withholding something you don't want to show your full deck you know you don't really care if you win or lose this game you just don't want to expose yourself to something that might help you when it really matters in the playoffs so you know, it'll be interesting. We could see could see a lot of starters resting over those last two. I feel like playing a, a team like the Warriors twice at the end of the season like that means something crazy is going to happen on Pop's end. Okay, here's here's a weird angle I'm going to take at it from now. The Warriors are still in the hunt for the best record of all time. They only have two losses. Uh, yes, very much very so. Very much in the hunt. And is it possible that they kind of beat themselves up trying to get there? And by the Spurs actually losing to the Warriors, helping them in that pursuit, in the long haul, they beat themselves up trying to get that record. When it matters in the playoffs, the Spurs come in rested. You know what I mean? Like, what if what if Pop if Pop decided to rest his starters for both of those two games? I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Obviously, you want home court advantage, but I'm just saying that it's – the, the Warriors might wear themselves out before the playoffs come, trying to trying to get this record. I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that first of all, if, if we're talking about these matchups specifically, 
you know, I, I don't think the uh, two matchups in the at the end of April or you know at the end of the season are going to like, manifest themselves. You know, two rounds later, you're going to be saying like, oh man, thank God we rested those starters against them a couple weeks ago. Like, I don't think that's going to matter. But I and mean, people talk about the Warriors exhausting themselves, but they don't have a player ranked in the top twenty in minutes per game this season. Draymond Green is playing the most minutes per game, and he's twenty second. Curry's thirty fourth. Thompson's forty second. Like it's not like they're running these guys out thirty eight minutes a night trying to gun for these records. I mean, they're they're not necessarily intentionally resting them, but the way that they play and the way that they're beating teams, they, they kind of get built in rest. So I really don't see the exhaustion thing as that big of a storyline. You know what? That's a great point. And I didn't look at mentally, it mentally, maybe. Yeah. Well, mentally for sure. I, I think that's certainly, I don't know. I'm just trying to take a weird angle. At, I'm trying to jump into pop's mind and I just went into a weird rabbit hole there, but I, I, I don't know. There's something to be said about, I don't know. The Spurs are just in such a good spot. They're flying into the playoffs so low and when they finally play the Warriors, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't I just would not be surprised at this point. And I said it a month ago even, if if the Spurs are actually favored when they go up against the Warriors, just because there's so much season to be played. We're we're so quick to put the crown on someone that I mean, the Spurs can still be the number the one seed at the, the end first of the round month. last year. I don't they're not gonna be favored. Uh, they did out they did add Lamarcus Aldridge. Um so there's that. But I don't, and I'm also. I also think that the the Spurs don't get any credit. You know, nobody talks about the Spurs. Like everybody talks about the Spurs, but we just talk about them in the sense that we say nobody talks about them. Like we talk about nobody talking about them. Like people are talking about the Spurs, and I think that narrative is somewhat dead at this point. I mean, they, you know, that just, people talk about them, but not and not in the same light, I guess, as the Warriors. They. They just talk about them to complain that people don't talk about them. But sure. no, I mean, they deserved every bit of analysis, every bit of praise that, that has been lobbed their way and every bit of praise that's been lobbed Golden State's way. It's just different when you don't have the face of the NBA on your team. And like, and the face of your team, if you're San Antonio, is playing like 22 minutes per game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's working out, certainly. That's no, it's not an indictment against the Spurs by any means. It's just they're not, they're not as marketable. And the... You know the agenda setters, I guess, in the sports media world, uh, are, is television, and you know podcasts are going to talk about the Spurs, radio is going to talk about the Spurs, but Sports Center is only going to spend so much time talking about the Spurs. And when the other team has Clay Thompson and has Draymond Green and has Stephen Curry, who are you know three players who are arguably more popular than anyone on the Spurs nationally, that's just going to be kind of how it works. So we're going to assume that Kawhi is going to take on Draymond Green and try to shut him down in all facets, which is just. We need just a moment of silence for thinking about that real quick. And then who wins? I, I think Kawhi wins because Draymond is especially good. He's incredibly good. A lot of people have said, and I kind of tend to agree with them, if he's on a different team, he's not the same type of player. He's not putting up the same stats. And that and that makes sense to me. But I think somebody like Kawhi can just shut him down and then, oh, no. I don't you know, know, though. Like, he's not the type of – Draymond Green's not the type of player you can just stick someone on and say shut him down. You know, like – Well, if in, if there was anybody to do that, it would be Kawhi, though. Yeah, yeah but I, I mean the, the, way he, the way that they use him – He's not in like a lot of ISO one on ones where it's going right. to be like Kawhi. You need to stay in front of him. Kawhi, you know, don't let him go here. It's you know they they're going to force Kawhi to help off and they're going to create mismatches. You know, it's I don't know. I just don't see this quite as a situation where it's mano y mano one on one. You're guarding this guy. You need to shut him down. It's you know you got to be in the right position to help here. Things like that. So it's going to be. I mean, it's going to take a complete team effort. Obviously, that goes without saying against Golden State. Um, I, I just think like it's not like you're throwing Kawhi on like 2008 Kobe. No, you know? uh, no, no, I know, and I'm not saying that whatsoever because you're you're completely right. Just look at uh, Green's assist numbers, and it's it's obviously he's not doing that. But I'm I mean I mean Kawhi shutting him down to the point where they can't even get Draymond the ball 
at the top of the key. Yeah, I, I think that's the goal. I just it's going to require you know th- what do they run all the time? You know, it's that Curry high screen flip to Draymond mm-hmm. or you know off action get Draymond up to the top. Like it takes two or three other guys to be in the right spots and be in their help spots to prevent that. Like the way that Golden State plays, like I just don't know if there's anything that Kawhi can do as an individual to like totally eliminate green you know like he'll he'll be better than anyone else at it for sure and and we've seen him shut down shut down guys over and over i just don't know if this is like a one-man job you know it's like it's going to take Kawhi's lead plus other guys being in the right spot and if any team can do it it's going to be the spurs okay so putting away the the nonsense i said about maybe pop would would like to lose all four of these regular season games let's just say they're both going at it all four matchups what does the record break down to be? I say Warriors win three, Spurs win one, but I think Pop is Pop is completely fine with that. Yeah, I think so too. I think I would say three one. That would be my initial thought too. I think I think the Warriors are better than the Spurs. I, I mean this, the Spurs have a new dimension that they didn't have last year in Aldridge, but they also have you know Tim Duncan. If we're playing two K, maybe went from like an eighty five <laughs> last year to like an eighty two this year. So you know things like that happen as well as a little bit of attrition. Their bench isn't quite as good as it was. Although you know what other team could use Jonathan Simmons as effectively as they have or Boban Marjanovic, yeah. who continues to destroy every per minute metric uh, out there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's we, we can we can sit here and pretend like we know what's going to happen in those games. But would it shock you if San Antonio won all four? No, would it shock you if Golden State won all four? Probably not either. No, no, not at all. We can keep it moving, but I, I mean, that's kind of the next thing we talked about: Warriors versus Cavs. Now it's Warriors against Spurs coming up twenty fifth of January. I don't know. Yeah, I, if if Pop rests his guys, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't. I also wouldn't be surprised if they just squared off and it was an epic battle that we haven't seen in, I don't know, since. In early nineties or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, since Christmas Day, I guess uh, Cavs Warriors was about as close as we get to that. That game was a little bit overrated. Looking back nah. on it now, I don't know. No, I mean, the game itself, the game, I mean, the game that was played on the court itself didn't live up to any of the potential we built up. Yeah, that's true. I mean, both teams struggle. I think it was more, you know, well well played defense. Neither team could shoot all that well in that game. The Cavs couldn't buy a basket from three. I mean, it. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't maybe like the slugfest that we hoped for, but it was also a, a close game throughout that came down to the final couple minutes. So even though it was, did it end up being like in the eighties, low nineties? I think, I think it, it did. did. I don't know the exact final score, but yeah, I, I mean, maybe we were expecting a little bit more fireworks, but I think it was still a hell of a game to watch. Um. So yeah, we talked about the Cavs, uh, or excuse me, we talked about the Spurs. Uh, the Cavs, they are in Dallas tonight. This is a Dallas team that they've already beat once this season. They've won seven straight, uh, but their next seven beginning tonight are at Dallas, at San Antonio, at Houston, home to Golden State, at Brooklyn. Uh, so that's a little break, but then home to the Clippers and home to Chicago. So that the next seven games are going to be a gauntlet for this Cavs team. And you know now that they're finally at full strength, we, we're seeing what they're capable of. They're Winning with ease, really, over since they've gotten Kyrie Irving back to full speed. Uh, Timothy Moskov continues to have issues, but Tristan Thompson playing big minutes, he's been good. Um, but we're really going to see what this team is made out of now. I mean, what, if you're Cleveland, are you happy to go five and two, four and three in this next seven? I think five and two is a must, considering they have all the players on the court for them right now. I mean, Kyrie is. Like never really was on a minutes restriction, maybe for one or two games. Yeah, not really. I mean, those first two games, yeah. But other than that, yeah. Iman Chumper too. I, I, the, I saw the Cavs Bucks game, the one that went to double overtime a couple months ago, and he was on the court pregame, like 
looked really, really good, and he didn't even play for a month after that. So I think this year in particular, the Cavs have really waited longer than maybe they had needed to um, on these guys. And, of course, that's a luxury that can be afforded to them because they've been the one seed in the East already, and they have so much of the season left. It was later on in the season, so I think that's why we're seeing it. Um, but uh, next seven games, 5-2 and two, I think is a must for them. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, they have the best player on the world on their team. They've got uh, Kyrie and Kevin Love, who are arguably, at some point in their careers, they've been top 10, top 15 over the last few years. And so saying they should go 5-2 and two over the stretch is not out of the realm of possibility because this is a title contender. That's what title contenders do. Yeah, I, I think 5-2 and two would be... Yeah, pretty solid result if you're them. I, you know, it's hard to say they'd be happy with it. I'm certainly, I don't think any team would be happy dropping any games, especially a team with goals like they do. But, I mean, you go San Antonio on Thursday in San Antonio, and then that's a back-to-back in Houston on Friday. So, I mean, that's a difficult back-to-back in itself. Uh, then you have Golden State Monday, uh, again, at Brooklyn on Wednesday, but then you're home to the Clippers. So you have a road home back-to-back. The travel's not going to be ideal for that one uh, with the Clippers in Cleveland. Uh, and then you get a night off and then home to the Bulls. Then after that, it's Minnesota, Phoenix, Detroit. But then you get the Spurs again. So, I mean, I think that they benefited a little bit from a, from a pretty soft schedule through mm-hmm. December. Um, you know, after the, the Warriors' Christmas Day game, it's been Portland, Phoenix, Denver, Orlando, Toronto, Washington, Minnesota, and then the Sixers on Sunday. So, I mean, it really doesn't get that much easier than that, especially with the way the East has been. You know, those you look at Orlando in the last five, six years, that would just be a gimme game. But, and it was for them. I mean, they, they beat them 104 to 79, but (laughs) those teams aren't just rollovers anymore. Like they used to be. Uh, So, you know, they don't, they can't quite coast maybe uh, as much as they had uh, for parts of last season after they started to figure things out. But yeah, I mean, three games and four nights uh, against Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, uh, is going to be tough and then of course again Golden State but they get them at home I mean are you are you more looking forward to San Antonio Golden State or uh, the Cleveland Golden State rematch in Cleveland San Antonio Golden State just because you have that potential Western Conference final matchup um, I want to see who truly is the top dog in the West because because of that defensive rating efficiency you could arguably say that the Spurs are performing just as well as the Warriors maybe if you go back and look at their schedules and compare them you say well if the Spurs played the Warriors schedule maybe they could have came in and had the same result so I'm definitely looking forward to that Um, you know it's the winter in San Antonio I know they don't have one so the air conditioners doesn't matter if they're on or not there's I mean it'd be fun to to dive back into that but I I don't really care about that as much Um, the East West I just it doesn't have as much importance as as the interconference matchups do in the regular season so it'll be great I'll be watching it but in terms of the bigger picture San Antonio Golden State is way more important to me and I think everyone else else out there should think the same it's a nice run of Mondays that we have here college football playoff (laughs) uh last night next Monday is Cavs Warriors and then the Monday after that is Spurs Warriors so I think we're going to be booked really until the end of January there and of course, that matches up well with our Tuesday podcast. We'll be able to discuss these at length. Hey, there's a reason why we're on Tuesday. Folks. Yes, exactly. We, we, we saw we had the foresight to know before the schedule <laughs> was even out <laughs> that we would be doing this. Um, a couple or uh, one, I guess, off the court note, John Wall fired his agent, Dan Feagan. This is the same agent who was fired by DeAndre Jordan, a guy who's kind of come under fire. And I, I will say, I don't know a ton about the, you know, the agent world as it pertains to the NBA. Uh, but as far as John Wall goes, it sounds like there was a sneaker deal that had something to do with this. Well, okay, this just came across the wire. We're filming this one thirty Central Time. I just saw it, threw it up on there, and you added a couple things. Um, John Wall is a hard guy for me to peg down because 
he's done some really great things. If you remember, he took that girl who had cancer under his wing, and then she passed away, and he had an amazing game, and he cried in the post game. and you're thinking, man, this guy is so nice, and you just like him. And then he kind of says some derogatory things about Kyrie getting into it. And then yeah. he said somebody's uh, Brandon Jennings contract, I think he had something to say about that too during the offseason. And so, I mean, nobody's like black or white, good or bad, but I just don't know what to think of John Wall on the whole. I think that the sneaker deal could be the thing. You have New Balance Skechers Crocs here, which is just hilarious. But I you think see, I got the inside scoop. He's going to New Balance. But I think that <laughs> I think that All Star voting kind of grinds his gears too, and that's something that Dan Fagan does have play somewhat of a role in marketing him and ma- be, making him more marketable. I mean, we're seeing somebody like Kyrie is so marketable. He hasn't even played that much, and we're seeing him. And John Wall arguably has the same type of skills, same talent level, and he's not in the public eye, and he's playing in a massive market. So I think that plays something into it. But on the whole, I just can't peg John Wall. I don't know who he is. I can't figure him out. Um, but that doesn't mean anything about me or John Wall necessarily. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who had some legal issues before going to Kentucky, and I think that kind of marred him a little bit. It was nothing too serious, you know, breaking and entering into like a vacant home or something like that. You know, it wasn't any kind of I've done that before. Tr- have you? <laughs> right, I, well, I guess I didn't uh, technically break into statute of limitations. I've been into an abandoned home before. Why? I you know, young, dumb, young yes, and dumb. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't even know where to go to like find an abandoned home. Yeah, well, the economy's on the rise, so hopefully there won't be a lot of them out there anymore. Yeah, I guess there's just yeah, I don't there, there's aren't that many like homes around Madison, I guess <laughs> that I, that I'm like having the opportunity to break into. Not that I would, um, but it'll be interesting to see where John Wall lands. I mean, there was a story that came out I think around Christmas uh, when when all this started about the shoe deal, saying he might he might be another one of the guys to cross over and maybe sign with a Chinese company or uh, you know we've seen Dwight Howard do that, Dwayne Wade do that, and there's money in those shoe deals, but for some guys, it's it's odd because you know you grow up, you go to Kentucky, especially it's Nike, 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 everything Nike. You grow mm-hmm. up, you know, you're even even us who play like pickup, like for for whatever reason, like I like buy Nike shoes for for no reason at all, like just because I I just like wouldn't, you know, I might buy a, a pair of Adidas shoes, but if it came down to it, same price, you know, two brands, and, and I would I feel like I would choose Nike every time, and I can't explain it. And I think there is something to say about like. You know, it's a, there's prestige involved with being inked to a company like Nike, and and even Under Armour is getting there. I think with some of the guys that they've been able to wrangle, mm-hmm. Adidas, who Wall was with, right. you know, has has some high name or high profile guys. Um, so you know, for some players, it it can seem a little bit odd to sign with a company that, that one they know nothing about, two, you know, they're in ads that really aren't featured around the United States at all. You know, you're you're, get, you're basically getting money for business that you're not really a part of. He's following in the path of Tracy McGrady if he does that. Basically. Or, or not Tracy McGrady. Well, Who am I thinking of? Who's massive in China? Dwayne Wade. Um, oh my gosh, St- uh, Stefan Marbury. Marbury. Marbury is so Don't big in China. Yeah. I mean, he's massive in China. He's got statues. He's got he's got plays yeah. written about him. I hope he doesn't follow that route. I mean, like Marbury actually lives and plays in China, so that's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that. It's it's a bit of a leap to assume that players will just take the money for those studios, but if it's between that and nothing, you know, I mean, he's not even wearing Adidas on the court anymore, and he still technically has his signature shoe out there, right? Which is, yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. Anyway, I just want I wanted to get your thoughts about it, just because he's a hard guy to peg. Uh, he just seems perennially unhappy. 
He does. And, you know, I, him and Whitman haven't always seen eye to eye this season, obviously, has not gone mm-hmm. like they expected. Uh, I mean, he was a guy that was kind of labeled as somewhat of a character issue guy. And we're not trying to, you know, spark any kind of discussion about that. But, you know, he's, I don't know if he's necessarily always been the easiest guy to get along with. And I think maybe that manifests itself a little bit more when things aren't going all that well. Uh, you know, personally off the court for him with, with this agent issue and then on the court for the Wizards. Yeah, fair enough. Anyways, we'll, we'll monitor the situation. Still just another wrinkle in the John Wall is so mysterious to me saga. Um, but, I mean, ring the bell. Here we go. Bucks talk. Yep. Every um, Tuesday. What do you got, Nick? We, well, I actually have something a little more broad that I want to talk about with the Bucks. So I won't I won't harp on MCW or Jabari Park or anything like that. First of all, if you're playing daily tonight, I like Pau Gasol or Pau Gasoline, as my phone always <laughs> corrects him to every single time. Ten double doubles in his last eleven games against the Bucks killed him uh, a week ago when these teams played. The the Bucks are terrible at defending opposing centers. The Bulls are actually the worst over the last five games at defending opposing centers. Bucks are second worst. So I got some lineups in with Greg Monroe and Pau Gasol on them. Uh, and you know, I, I think that that's a, a worthy pairing. But more generally, I wanted to get your thoughts. I, I was doing a, a Bucks piece for Bucksketball yesterday, um, and basically it was you know regarding this Bucks development plan. And the question posed to me, you know, by by our editor Jeremy Schmidt uh, was, "What do you want to see over the second half of the season?" You know, we kind of we kind of have assumed we've written some things, we've talked about it that. The Bucks are a lottery lock. You know, we don't think that there's a, a big turnaround coming. Like this team is not a good basketball team. So at this point, what do you want to salvage? You know, what do you want to see? And and my answer was that I wanted to see Jabari Parker show that he's going to be a star or be more than a hustle role player. And and that you know that's somewhat what I want to talk about. But the bigger thing I want to talk about is just the general thoughts on this Bucks development plan and the timeline of it. So the core of this team: Greg Monroe, 25 years old; Chris Middleton, 24 years old. Michael Carter Williams, I think 22, 23. Uh, either way, all these guys are under 25. 24. 24. So wow, four of the when five. When did he get so old? Man. He played two years in college. Okay. And I think he was, he was old for his grade, too. Um, Jabari Parker, 20, 21. Giannis, 20, 21. So we, basically, you have five players under 25 and four players 24 or under uh, that you're trying to develop basically along the exact same timeline. And three of those guys. Parker, Giannis, and to a slightly lesser degree, uh, Chris Middleton, I think you're trying to develop as stars in this league. And, and I know maybe it seems like a stretch to say that about Middleton, but if you've watched the Bucks or kept up with the Bucks over the last month and a half, I mean, he's been, one, really good, objectively, no matter who he's playing for, two, and he's been the best player on the team, uh, especially offensively. So you have these three guys that are all developing simultaneously. You're, all, you're hoping that all three of these guys you know, are going to turn into stars, but the more you look at it, there's historical precedent that says if you're going to be a star in this league, you need to be, you know, entrusted with star responsibility. You need to have high usage. You need to, you know, take shots that stars take. You can't you can't have nights where you only take six shots, and that's that's what's happened with Giannis and Parker, especially, uh, and even Middleton. He he said quote saying, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable creating shots. The guys know that's not what I'm about. I'm a you know I pick my spots. The question is, are the Bucks trying to? develop too much at once to the point where none of these guys can actually develop into a star because they're all shouldering part of like the star load you know we've seen like Oklahoma City Westbrook and Durant come up together they basically went 50 and Harden and Harden but Harden ends up leaving you know they it didn't it didn't really work out for them uh partially because they're bringing him off the bench and they knew he was you know better than that he knew he was better than that and then he took the money to go prove that in another city 
basically what I'm asking is are the Bucks trying to like spread themselves too thin developmentally and asking three guys to try to become a star all at once when you can really only ask, I think, with maximum of two, just because there's there's only so much room for guys to play like stars. No, Nick. No. Uh, you asked a lot of questions in there, but uh, for the majority of them, I'm just going to answer a flat no, because it's not like you have one developmental coach. Like you have a coaching staff, and one of them is like the one guy you devote to the de- de- developing a star. Experience develops players in general. So if they're on the, all on the court together at the same time, and there's no special treatment, I, I, I don't know. In three years, if you look at this core, they could all be they could be the three amigos. I mean, we're talking like the reincarnation of of the Boston three or something like that, a younger version growing up together. I think that they have to all learn and grow together on the court. And I I, I just don't buy into the like you can only have one star with one shot, one shot creator. Here's the thing though, Nick. What I want to see from the Bucks is like you mentioned, none of these guys can really create their own shot. So why not harp defense? Like, let's just get really good at defense as an Eastern Conference team, right? Which is they're the worst defensive team in the league. Like, I, I don't, I don't think they're not harping defense. I, I don't know how, you know, like what are you going to try to turn this team into? Like a bunch of really good defenders who can't play offense. What should they do then? I mean, they don't have any other options. I know. I'm saying they're they're a bad team right now. Like I said at the top of that little expose, they're they're a bad team. They're not going anywhere. Uh, at least this season, you know, as far as playoffs or whatever, they, they could chase the eight seed, whatever. They're not gonna, they're not gonna get it past the first round, even if they would sneak in. Like, why not just hand over the reins and and say, you know what? Like, we're we're gonna stop trying to play this brand that we played last season, where you know we go nine deep and everybody contributes the same. Like, that doesn't develop superstars. But this, but nobody's gonna turn into a massive superstar at the end of the season if you just let it, them get a take a bunch of shots. I don't. I don't know though. Like so, we, they so haven't had the that, chance. So what you're asking me is essentially, which one of these three guys should we let shoot way too much the rest of the season, even though we're going to suck? Yeah, I mean, in a way, yes, because I think there's a trial and error process. Uh, I wouldn't say like shoot way too much. I mean, that it's part of it though. I think they're shooting too little more than anything. It's more of a shoot an appropriate amount that somebody who you think can be on a superstar trajectory would shoot. You know, like. I'm trying to find a good example. Like look at I, look at like Andrew Wiggins' numbers from last season. Like the, I, well, the Timberwolves I, weren't good, but you still got the thought. Like that was considered like a successful season for them in a way because you, they came out. Of, if you're a Timberwolves fan, you came out of that season thinking like we got we got a, a nice piece here. If you're the Bucks, you're gonna have you know a 28 win season, 30, whatever it might be, 34 win season, and you're gonna come out of it thinking like none of these guys really got a whole lot better than last year. I think. I don't think they're just going to emerge into something where, wow, now that I've taken an appropriate amount of shots for my star trajectory, now I believe I'm a star and I'm going to be the man. I think, if anything, you need to get a point guard in there, a facilitating point guard, who opens things up for these three guys for our, how they already play. So Middleton, as we've gone over multiple times, he's a catch-and-shoot from beyond the arc. He's, his, his percentage, he's been fine. He's been fine. He's sure. out of this. But Giannis and Jabari Parker, I mean, you said it already. Parker has essentially been told not to shoot threes. So so what is he going to do? If he can't create his own shot and he can't shoot threes, what is he going to do? What if you had somebody come in, an uber facilitator like a Ricky Rubio or a Rajon Rondo Kendall or a Rajon or Kendall Marshall or a TJ McConnell or a Rajon Rondo? These guys aren't available, though. I know, but but here's the thing, Nick. 
the Bucks are bad for a reason because they're missing a major, another piece like a major facilitator. You have to have somebody that helps these guys move along and discover their own talents. They're not just going to go out there and do it themselves, especially these I don't three. Know, though, I, but that's the thing is like maybe maybe the answer is they're just not like they they're just not destined to be superstars because or maybe they're just not like, destined to play. How many the same games did Ricky together? Rubio play last year? Like thirty something, and right. and Andrew Wiggins seemed to be okay without him. You know, as far as his personal development went, and you know there are far better examples if we look deeper than Andrew Wiggins, I'm sure. But I wouldn't say if they require a really good point guard, then like does that mean like they're not superstars without it? Like. It would, I, I like KD would be fine without Westbrook. LeBron would be fine without Kyrie. We've seen oh. that. Like, and again, those are extreme examples. And these guys aren't going to be either of those guys. But like Paul George, his point guard's George Hill, and it, it's been fine. You know, like I don't know. I don't know. So if I, what, Nick? What you're saying to me now, and where this conversation is going, and the question that we'll have to ask at the end of this year, or maybe even a couple years down the line, is. Maybe none of these three guys are superstars. I mean, right. that's that's where this conversation is ultimately yes. leading to. Well, it's that, and you're also trying to develop, you know, two of these guys basically at the same position, like the three slash four, and they've, they've trended more towards the four with Parker. So it's not a situation where, like, you look at KD and Russ, like the prototypical, like what you right. want to develop two guys at once. One of them's a point guard, one of them's a forward. Like you have two different dynamics going on there, two different styles of play, like. Giannis and Parker right now have like the same skill set. Neither of them can shoot the three. Both of them are okay off the dribble. Both of them can finish well at the rim. They're both athletes. Like they overlap too much, and that's kind of the point of what I'm saying is you're trying to develop two guys at once well, who neither neither of them can get the reps that they need necessarily because they're competing with another guy who's trying to do the same thing. And instead of you know dedicating 100 percent of your you know if you have you know, like development points on, on like 2K, if we're going back to that, you know, like you're splitting it all up among four players. So like all four of them might get a little bit better, but you could pull them, you know, into one guy and like make him your superstar. And maybe they're trying to build like a, you know, an 04 Pistons type of thing. You know, John Hammond was the architect of that team. And, you know, and, and I think that's kind of the, the similarity that they drew last season. Obviously they weren't nearly as good as that Pistons team, but it was a, it was a, you know, everyone contributes, everyone knows their role. We don't have a superstar thing, but when you got a number two overall pick, like that's what you expect. Well, no, and I agree with you. But if we're going to go the 0-4 Pistons route, we're going to go back to what I originally said: is you have to be solid on defense, yep. and then on offense, you can figure it out all together. And experience will come that way. But that's only going to come with time. That 0-4 right. Pistons team was a veteran team. Yep. And they were all above average players, besides Chauncey Billups, who was more of a star. Otherwise. Um, I mean that. That's I mean, the, I mean that's an extreme example. The way that, I mean no, you had the Pistons you had is a very the, unique. You team. had like maybe the best defensive player of his era. Ben Wallace, his short yeah, his short era. I guess when he was kind of on top. I mean that nobody really dominated the defensive paint and the defensive glass like he did for a good five six years like that. And it's going to be tough to match that kind of camaraderie. I guess that that team had built. So. Either this team gets very good on defense and they just kind of struggle, but their defense is so good that they can they can figure it out on offense, like that Pistons team did. And then if you're going to go that route, you you got to you got to get Monroe out of there and bring in somebody legitimate, or you got to start playing Henson more. I know you don't like me saying Nerlens Noel would be good on this team, but at center, if you're just going to go the defensive route, he's somebody that you would have to look to over the next five to seven years that would really shore up that particular philosophy. If we're going to go ahead and write off Middleton, Antetokounmpo, and Parker as being star players who right. can and create we're not, their own shot, I mean we're certainly not doing that by any means. I, I just think you know you're. Giannis is in year three, 
Parker is in basically his rookie year, so he's got time. But, uh, you know, you can usually – people you know people who pay attention to the league know that you can usually tell pretty early on in a player's career. It's pretty rare for somebody to get to year five or six and then just turn it on, unless they were like a bench player who hadn't, you know, hadn't had a real chance. You know, a guy like Jimmy Butler, and, and even he is still pretty young. You know, but, but he was somebody who, as a late first-rounder, hadn't really been given the opportunity. So mm-hmm. there are exceptions. Um, but guys who you bring in and and are playing you know thirty minutes per game right away like Parker is like to start like this is not is not encouraging. So I guess you know that was a little bit disjointed of a of a rant about the Bucks, but I think you know they need to focus more overall on on what they want the point of all this development to be. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that was a great talk, and we hit on a lot of good points of it, but. I mean, we'd be stupid to say Middleton, Antetokounmpo, and Parker aren't weren't good pieces to bring in, and even Carter Williams at the time. But when we're looking at it now and how the players are developing or where they're not developing, then you kind of look at a muddled situation where, like you said, all three of these guys can play small forward, and we got to spread them out and figure out how to work. Um, good, good topic on that. Uh, uh, real quick, I wanted to add, Jay Crowder is another good example of somebody who turns it on late where he was saying 14 minutes about with the with Dallas for about three years he goes to Boston and all of a sudden he's a very reliable small forward for you Jimmy Butler is yeah, probably sure the, the Bucks ex- the Bucks would be thrilled if Jabari Parker turns into the next Jay Crowder <laughs> I know but that's a more realistic example than using Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler is turning into one of the best players in the NBA after yeah but I think that's like that's like what they want right I mean yeah like, they're not yeah, I, yeah, you're the, right the expectation for Jabari Parker and Giannis isn't hopefully they can become like top 40 players it's like hopefully they can become top 15 players or one of the two you know two of the three <laughs> sure yeah I mean it's it, I don't know I, maybe maybe the bar set too high um but I, th- I think especially a name like Parker was you know I mean this is a guy who second round pick that's right a, second that's, overall pick. or second yeah. overall pick that's all you got to say yeah I mean exactly. he should be living up to that bill he's yep. not um Oh, whatever. You know, we're going to talk about the Bucks yep. every Tuesday. We'll come back to it. We got a lot of fun stuff that we need to get to as well. Um, Nick, you talked about your daily lineups. I know you're playing on DraftKings tonight. And of course, you too can be a part of the action on DraftKings all season long, the official daily fantasy basketball partner of Rotowire. Of course, with daily fantasy, you don't, have, you don't need to spend months micromanaging a roster. Play whenever you want and pick a new team every single time you play. So if you've soured on the Bucks like me and Nick's have, then you cannot play them anymore. Not the Knicks, but the Bucks. Um, all you got to do is go to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code ROTOHOOPS to play for free. All right, let's have some fun with some rookies. Yeah, so we wanted to take a look at the 2015 draft and you know just do a redraft. And this is completely hypothetical, of course. Just full disclosure, the teams will not be redrafting in what? real life. This will be a podcast-only thing. Um, but, you know, like we said, we're enough of a way into the season, just about halfway for most teams, you know, creeping up into the high 30s as far as games played, that we've gotten a look at a lot of these guys, and you can kind of start to reassess maybe looking back at the draft if teams would have would have done things differently. And we'll start with the first pick, and I think we both agree that Minnesota would do this one over again. Yeah, we don't even need to spend too much time on this. I think the only other play here – would be bumping Porzingis up to the one, but we're still at. You the You can po- make an argument. Yeah. You can, you can certainly make the argument, but we're still at the point where Porzingis is going to be very good. But you still like Carl Anthony Towns for his ability to create a shot, move out a little bit, do a lot of things while still being a reliable rim protector. Yeah. So at this point in the season, maybe later on we'll change it. I think consensus agreed. Carl Anthony Towns still would go to the Minnesota Timberwolves one overall if we threw all the rookies back in the pot right now and we did everything over. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. And, you know, especially for Minnesota, the way that this has worked out and Porzingis might have, you know, from what we've seen, he might have a slightly higher ceiling, but one, I mean, Towns has been solid across the board oh, yeah. in every respect, you know, and he's only going to get better. Kevin Durant called him a, I think he called him like a Hall of Fame lock in pregame <laughs> today. They're, they're, they're playing Minnesota tonight, and he was asked about him. Um, but Porzingis, there's still a little bit more risk to me. Um, you know, yeah. you start to say like, man, when he does this, when like that stuff still has to happen. Like Towns is already He's to the point it. where like, even if he didn't get any better, like, and he just kept playing without improving his skills, like he would be a really, really good player. And so would Porzingis. But uh, I think I give Towns a slight edge just because he's a little bit safer to me. Um, but Porzingis, I have at two. And you you actually don't have Porzingis at two. I don't have Porzingis at two because I – and, of course, this I'm, – I'm looking at the team specifically. So if, if we threw it back in there, the Lakers right now I think would still pick D'Angelo Russell over Porzingis just because – I mean, they have Julius Randle. And they have Roy Hibbert, and I know they don't like Roy Hibbert, and that's not somebody you really want to build around whatsoever. But but the weird situation with Byron Scott is that I, Russell is still not that bad of a player, even though he's been moved to the bench and he's seeing time. I think he's being broken down by Scott. He's he's getting some hard coaching that maybe he's never gotten before. But I went and looked at some things that have been really bad for Russell this season is turnovers, of course, and three-pointers. And I went back and looked at some of those from the beginning of the season and, and kind of into now. His three-point stroke is nice. It's it's a sweet shot. I think that'll come around. His turnovers, I don't want to – I want to say maybe a third of his turnovers were because the people he was passing it to down low actually just have brick hands and couldn't even catch the ball. Um, How dare you say that about Roy Hibbert or I know. Tarek Black? Yeah, what a, what a terrible what a terrible tragedy I just pulled right there. But I actually think that he's some of the passes on the turnovers where he's passing down low, the passes are too good for the people he has around him. And I know that that can't be said for everything because there was a lot of dumb passes. Well, he is a guy who does a lot of no look type of things and yeah. anticipatory type of passes. And rookie point guards on the whole just have high turnover rates. Like I, unless he was turning it over like seven times per game, you know, I don't think there's that much. That's not a concern. So what's your case for Porzingis going to LA? Like I, I know he's I mean, what we just talked about really. Okay. I think it's, I mean, he's, he's the guy we both disagreed could maybe be a number one instead of town. So, I, I mean, he's, he, he's doing it all really. I mean, you look at the numbers, 12, um, eight rebounds, or excuse me, 14 points per game. I was looking at uh, D'Angelo Russell. Eight rebounds per game for Porzingis, not even playing 30 minutes per game. And this is a guy who, you know, is young, too, and unpolished for the most part, we thought, coming in. I mean, he's a hell of a lot more polished than, than most people believed he would be initially. And you can just tell, I mean, he's kind of, he's not ripped by any means, and it's tough to be ripped when you're seven foot three and weigh <laughs> that much. But, like, he has some work he can do on that body, and, and it by all means, he seems like a hard worker, and I think once he gets that going, I mean, this is a guy who is midway through his rookie year and is already like one of the biggest names in the league. And part of it is just you know the mystique of him and you know being seven foot three and playing in New York. But um, you know, it would be the same hype if he played in L.A. And that's part of this too. Is like the Lakers, uh, if they redrafted right now, I think I think they would take Porzingis because they already have some pretty decent backcourt pieces, and I think that they think they're going to get Russell Westbrook in a couple years anyway. Okay, yeah, and I kind of looked at the same way as where would I, if I was the Lakers, would I rather be looking for a point guard in the free agent market or would I rather be looking for a center? And I chose center because I think you can find a lot of reliable guys who have brick hands anyway, um, where that, you know, if if Russell manifests into what we still think he can do, he's going to be a lot more valuable than where the league is heading to anyways. Now, I'm not delegitimizing Porzingis whatsoever. I just think that, I think that 
Russell's, um, you know, his trajectory is still where we ever thought it was. I don't think yeah. it's really taken a hit whatsoever. No, I'm just going to kind of, I guess, play devil's advocate here and say, like, yeah, it's easy to go find centers with brick hands, like you said, but it's not easy to go find centers like Porzingis. Like, I'm, it's much easier to go find a replacement-level point guard than it is to find a replacement-level center. So, like, if you have the opportunity to get a guy, you know, how many competent, like, big-time centers like Porzingis, like Towns, um, you know, like, versatile type of guys who do it on both ends? Like, there, how many are there in the league right now? Like, six, seven? And, like, how many of those are really good? Like, two? I mean, the opportunity to get one of those guys who isn't just a one-way center. You know, like it seems like every team now has a, you know, you either have the Al Jefferson, Jalil Okafor type of center, or you have the Hassan Whiteside, DeAndre Jordan type of center. And like the opportunity to basically get both in a package like Porzingis, I think is, is something you can't pass on. Fair enough. And, I, and I'll be easily uh, swayed here. Uh, last thing I'll just say is, is that what held me up is Julius Randle. And I think that he can shift down and play center at points. So if, if you're going to look at it from that angle, maybe you need to shore up point guard for the next 10 years. I don't, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about Julius Randle, uh, but I don't, I, don't think he's, I don't think they would play him at center. I think they've considered small forward. I think he's a little undersized for the center spot. And Byron Russell, or Byron Russell, Byron Scott, <laughs> um, I don't think is interested in playing him at any position right now. Um, well, but that's true. That, that's I, a, I'm just trying to Scott, – Scott throws a whole wrench into this thing because maybe if Russell was on the court for 36 minutes every single night, you know, we, we might be saying, wow, maybe Minnesota should have taken him. He might be like a Wiggins him. type of guy, yeah. Right, right. That's the thing, too, is like we don't even know how good – you know, Randall's basically a rookie too. I mean, we don't know either how good yeah. either of those guys could be with competent coaching and a competent system. But let's keep it moving. Number four, uh, I went to Okafor here, and I, you know, I think people have somewhat soured on him. There's been the off the court things. There's been the Sixers, you know, playing terribly. There's been the the metrics that don't exactly play into his favor. Um, but I think he's a really good player. I think he, in the right situation, could be a better defender. He's a better athlete than I think he gets credit for. Um, you know, I, I think the defensive thing for him really is, is somewhat of an effort thing. And, you know, you don't like to call guys effort into question, especially guys who have only played 30 odd games in their career. Uh, but he's in a tough situation. And I think those metrics that have, that have kind of doomed him in, in a lot of conversations, uh, look a little bit better if he's playing for a different team. Uh, so I, I still like Ogafor quite a bit, you know, I think, you know, maybe going at three over Russell and, and Perzingis and Towns. Uh, or one of those guys I think is a little bit silly, but he's still, you know, he's still been a cut above the next tier, I guess, to me. What did we know coming into this draft? Um, and there was a lot of unknowns. Who knows? But one thing that we all collectively agreed is that Okafor is probably your 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 most sure bet. Yeah. You knew that he was already going to be take on centers and be, you know, uh, and take him on and be one of the better offensive on the block scores. And he is. That's right exactly now. what's happening. He destroyed Valanciunas. Was it yep. over the weekend? I mean, just obliterated him. He destroyed Towns too. I mean, he's yeah. be- he's beaten up Towns both times they've played. And like you said, he we, he's doing exactly what people expect him to. He's been playing bad defense and he's been putting up really nice offensive numbers and looking pretty good on offense doing it. Yeah. So I at the number four, I actually went with Moutier for the Knicks um I mean just look at the point guards they have now they need a point guard Moutier has been injured high turnover rate but a rookie point guard um you know I think I can live with it if he's still going to be managed to be just like an above average point guard for the next seven years I think he's still valuable at the four spot for them Okafor I think people and GMs have soured on on those metrics like you said but going to a different team would be interesting the problem with picking Okafor at number four for me at the Knicks is that 
they kind of locked and loaded that that position already. So Lopez is locked into the center already, and you can't play Lopez and and, and Okafor at the same time. Yeah, but it's like you know, if they have their eye on Okafor, do they go get Lopez? You know, you can I know kinda, that's you can that's where we get into play chicken or egg there. And they, I mean, yeah. they had Lopez, I guess, beforehand, uh, I believe. But you know, either way, it's. I mean, they they basically drafted a center anyway with Lopez. Um, That's I, well. I mean, they he's more of a power. For, they're using him as a power forward, and they don't really play on the court a lot together. So they have more of late, but yeah, not a ton. Um, I mean, do you think if you know, looking back to the real draft, do you think if Philly goes Porzingis at three, do, would the Knicks lock in and go Okafor for sure? No, I think Moutier. That's who I have. You think so? That's that. Uh, yeah, that, I they could have taken him though. You think they like Porzingis that much? Well, yeah, they were right. <laughs> but, well, right, but I mean, I I don't know. I mean, like they, Moutier was available to them, right? But I think it was Porzingis, like on their draft board, whatever it was. It, Porzingis was ahead of Moutier, but if Porzingis was gone, they would have considered Moutier more so than Okafor. I I just I can't get over Okafor and Lopez being on the court at the same time together, and so so yeah, that's that's, that's what I'm stuck with, and and I think he's locked in for the next four years too. So that's. Lopez. Lopez is so so that that was my yeah. reservation on a good deal um, uh, we can keep it moving though. yeah we, number we, five I went Justice Winslow and you went Frank Kaminsky slash Justice Winslow I can't decide here I mean Hazonia is not that bad that's who Orlando picked but they don't have any room to play him they're so loaded with young talent that I actually think a stretch four which essentially Channing Fry is doing right now that Kaminsky would be a great understudy to Channing Fry, and in the long haul, he would fit in better with the young core they have because Fry's not going to be around forever. And I and I'm willing to take. I would be willing to go Winslow there because I think Winslow is very deserving of the five based on how good he's been on defense this year. But again, they don't have any room on their roster for a shooting guard or small forward. They're already moving Oladipo to the bench, and so it's just too crowded at that spot. Yeah, that's true, and I think this is a situation where you have to look a little more long term. It's like, yeah, right now. They, you know, they're they're as much of a mess to me as Boston is, and you know, not messes as in like Milwaukee Bucks mess, but messes in like who are your guys going forward because they have so many pieces that on paper look good, but you know, at some point you just you just can't go forward with like eight small forwards if right. you're Orlando, and uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I just, I think you know, teams put a little bit less stock in the positional thing than maybe we think they do in certain okay. cases. Like, I don't think Orlando was like. You know, I, I don't, or maybe another. I'm trying to think of a better example. Like, I mean, we've seen Philly. Like, they've just loaded up on center because that's the best. Te- that's the best position available. Like, I think especially a team like Orlando that has a lot of young question mark pieces. Still, they're not ready to say like, oh, you know, we're going to pass on this guy. We're already set here because you never really know. Especially when these guys are young, you know, you don't know who's a guy might look like he might be a, a franchise building block, but. Yeah, I don't think it's worth passing on someone who could also be another franchise building block. And then, like, worst case scenario, you have two on your hands and you have to get rid of one. Or you have three small forwards like the Milwaukee Bucks. Or you have three small forwards like the Milwaukee Bucks. I I don't know. I just, I mean, there's lots of different ways. And like I said, I'm not going to be a hard ass about this. I I will be easily swayed on anything. But I think there's something to be said with bringing on a stretch four to this team um, than bringing on another small forward because right. if you look at it now, Hazonia doesn't play, and people still kind of hold him in high regard, or at least they did coming into this draft. It's yeah, it's kind of the like you haven't proven that you're not a bust, but right. you haven't proven that you are. So like yeah, and then you got to give them benefit of the doubt for sure. I yeah. mean, you can't, you certainly can't assume a player is going to be a bust just because they're not playing on a team that's in playoff contention and has some nice pieces on it. Um, so yeah, I certainly don't hold that against him. But Winslow at five. He, you know, numbers haven't been all that good for him, but he's been a monster defensively. 
Um, I mean, this is the steal of the draft to me. We said it on draft night, and this is a guy who's probably going to end the year averaging like five points and five rebounds. But, you know, two years down the road when Dwayne Wade is, you know, either retired or taking a major step back and Luol Deng's out of the picture, like he's a guy that is like the ultimate Jimmy Butler type of candidate to me who could, who could like triple his scoring or like quadruple his per game scoring over a summer. Yeah, most definitely. Last night he started, got his first start of the career against Golden State. Played 26 minutes. We only saw him, you know, seven points, three rebounds. So, very. And I want to say it's more than just because they have the exact same haircut, but um, somebody who's very solid on defense and, like you said, could just triple, quadruple his yep. production. There's been questions about his shooting, but I mean, he was a very good three point shooter at Duke, and you know, the lines moved back, and his his release isn't super smooth. 23 percent from beyond yeah, the arc, but he's yeah. a rookie. And the Heat, as, the Heat as a whole are a terrible three-point shooting team, and they're, yeah. they're not great at getting open looks. So I don't, I don't necessarily hold that against him. I, I just hope he doesn't stop shooting them altogether. I agree that Winslow should be in that five territory, but I think if I'm shaping it out, I think he moves down to eight, and we can talk about how I got him down to eight. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get the interim guys first. So at number six, I have Moutier. We already talked about him. Again, I'm not, you know, not going to fight you on that one, really. Well, Sacramento, this higher. would be the Kings right. picks. They originally took Willie Colley-Stein. We hated that pick to begin with, and we still yeah. don't like it. I know. I he's I like Willie Cauley Stein so much as a player, but I hated that fit and I, I think he's a guy that really needs to be in the right situation to thrive, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's a guy that literally in Sacramento could be out of the league in four years, but if he was in a different situation, um, you know, with with different expectations, I think he could be a really, really good NBA player. So I'm going to be kind of fascinated, and he's been injured. You know, we haven't got to see much of him lately, but I'm going to be kind of fascinated to see how his career goes. Um, so at six, or sorry, finger injuries all over the place. He, adjacent finger injuries over the last month. Um, he he's start wearing gloves. Spoil alert: he's not in our top ten. No. So he he's dropped at least four spots no. hypothetically for us. No, um, um, but, but yeah, you had you have Moutier here, which makes way more sense. This is what they should have done on draft night because he was available. Yeah, I mean, and and to be fair, the Rondo thing has kind of worked out. I mean, you know, slurs aside, he's had a pretty. He's had a pretty decent year, at least individually. And you his know, numbers are just as good as they've ever been at yeah, any point in his career. He's, he's been very good, and he hasn't seemed to, you know, butt heads with George Carl too much. And Demarcus Cousins is already lobbying to get him re-signed. Like I, this has gone like about as well as it could have, honestly, uh, for Sacramento. So we, we shouldn't really kill him for that move. But at six, you have Devin Booker, uh, number one scariest eyes in the league. Number two, um, the youngest player in the league, and number three, a guy who I like, I love, love, love. He's at number eight for me, but. Uh, you you don't find guys who shoot like this with such confidence and, and can do other things too. I think he got maybe a little bit mislabeled partially by me and who maybe didn't watch him as much as I should have last year as shooting specialist. You know, this guy's Anthony Moore. Like, no, I mean, he's, he's a legit six, six. He's a very good athlete. He's not a great passer by any means at this point, but he's been rebounding well of late, seeing increased minutes with Bledsoe out. Um, and it was much of a tire fire as the Suns have been this year. Like, the Bledsoe injury and everything that's gone on with them and the personnel shakeups have, are in the long run, I think, going to help Devin Booker and they're going to help TJ Warren develop because they're, gonna, they're seeing minutes that they otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, most definitely. So this is still number six is the Kings. Uh, I think best case scenario, the Kings would have drafted Moody, like you said, but I had him going to the Knicks earlier on. So Booker, uh, Ben McLemore is kind of just hot and cold or more so cold than anything. Um, you bring in Booker. 
at least you put some pressure on Macklemore to get better. If nothing else, put some pressure on him. Booker can still manifest. Who know? Who knows how long Rudy Gay is going to be there? Um, but I, I think it's Booker at six makes a lot of sense. And like you said, he got brought down pre-draft, rightly so. He barely played on the Kentucky team, or he came off the bench. He was in a limited role, youngest player in the NBA, youngest player in the draft, I think even as well. So, um, but with with Sacramento, I think that's a, a decent fit because you, Costa Kufos is somebody who should be on the court alongside Demarcus Cousins to begin with. Shouldn't even mess around with Kali Stein. You don't bring in a guy like Kufos who's a legitimate starter in this league um, or a, a, like a very good backup front court player. So uh, have Booker at six. You have Moutier at six. We can move on to seven, which would have been um, the Denver Nuggets picks who picked Moutier, but now he's gone on our, both of our draft boards. I looked at this a little bit less of team fit, I guess. And it was just, I guess, to be, to be a little bit more frank, these are kind of more like rankings, you know, and I'm assuming that every team takes the best player available. So like when I look at number seven, I'm going Bobby Portis, who – you know the Nuggets certainly aren't set in the front court. You know they they're not in like drastic need of a power forward. They have Fareed. They have some other some other guys. Uh, shout out JJ Hickson. Um, but I think Bobby Portis as an asset is probably the number seven guy at this point. And you know we haven't really seen him do do much over an extended sample. Like Bulls Bulls Twitter loves Bobby Portis and everyone loves Bobby. Yeah, Portis. yeah, and he gets his like twelve to fifteen minutes and looks really good in that. But they just don't have the room right now and. You know, they're a team that if things go south or they turn, they want to go in a new direction before the deadline, maybe they flip Noah or they flip Miritich or they flip Gibson, uh, and that opens up more for Portis because all reports are you know, they want to see more of this kid, but right now it just hasn't happened. Uh, either way, he looks great. Uh, he looks great for where they got him. Uh, was he at 18, I think? Um, no, that was, that was Sam Decker. 22, so even later. Wow. Yeah, Bobby Portis at 22. Uh, this is a guy that I really wanted the Bucks to take a look at. Of course, they went with a uh, Rashad Vaughn, who is the same agent Not as like, the other half of the team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Rashad Vaughn's been all right. He hasn't been a total bust. but yeah, he hasn't he's been, just another small forward shooting guard. Well, kind of. I mean, he, has, he just hasn't been Bobby Portis. You know, He hasn't been a guy that you would ever consider putting on this list, and part of that's just reps. But, I mean, in short, Bobby Portis has looked good in small doses. I think. Hey, I think Vaughn and Portis have probably played the, about the same amount of minutes this year. So I, I'll, I'll look at Portis. Portis has 259 minutes, and we're all over him. We love him. Vaughn's played more, yeah. Yeah, so I, I understand what you're saying, but Vaughn has played more minutes, and we're not, we're not fawning over him. Mm-hmm. Um, He's not Rashad Fawn. Boom. Um, so I agree with you that if we're just ranking the talent that uh, Portis makes sense at six, um, or is this seven now? Yeah, this would be seven. Uh, I have Cameron Payne because I think Denver needs – I did this opposite of you. I did this based on team needs, um, and I think that Denver still needs a point guard, so they would have went with Cameron Payne based on what we know now. Cam Payne, like the, what you like to call him, has actually edged out DJ Augustine for backup point guard duties behind Russell Westbrook. There's a lot to come for that young man, and I think that if you're looking at the third best point guard in this class, it's him, and that's what Denver needed at the seven spot with already having two point guards gone at this point in our hypothetical draft. Is it just me, or does Cam Payne look like a, like a complete 50-50 mashup of like Lou Williams and Sam Cassell? <laughs> like if you just blend, if you somehow yeah, were able the to the hair of Lou Williams and yeah. kind of like the face, like the clean face of Sam Cassell. Just yeah, I think if you like did one of those face morph things, maybe I'll try to get that going. Like I think I think it would come out and be like, well, 
There it is. Like Conan it, would be, it would just be like campaigns, ESPN.com, profile photo. <laughs> Conan O'Brien's If They Mated might have to get that going. Have you seen that? I have he, not. Oh, he takes two people and they do If They Mated, but it has no computer morphing at all. It's just oh, like take the mated. nose. Yeah, If They Mated. So he just like takes the nose from one person to ears. And oh, it's just gotcha, ugly, gotcha. ugly, ugly If They thing. Made It. I was like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll check that out. So I have Booker at eight. Uh, this is again where you had Winslow slash Kaminsky. We already talked about Winslow. What are your thoughts on Frank? He did not make my list. Yeah, he didn't make your list, and I actually had him going five to Orlando. Again, I did this a lot different than you, apparently. Um, Kaminsky has been solid and reliable this year for Charlotte as Al Jefferson has gone out. Um, I more so have in this spot at eight, which would be the Pistons. Uh, Kaminsky, stretch stretch four. Uh, we know Gundy loves that. Yeah, I mean, I think is is Frank be, not the next Urson essentially? He's probably a better passer than Urson already. Maybe not quite as good of a rebounder, but he, I think he can be a good rebounder. Concerning that he's shooting thirty eight percent, thirty one percent from three. Well, if we're gonna give all the other rookies a pass on shooting, then we rookie should be able point to... guards. I mean, you don't want your you don't want a center shooting thirty eight percent. I mean, it's it's not Wait, a huge. You said deal. thirty. Is he shooting thirty eight percent on the whole? Yeah, um, not from three. I mean, that'd be great from three. Yeah, that's a little more concerning, I suppose. But there were questions though about him. You know, it's like how is he going to translate? Like, I don't think anybody expected him to be able to pull off the same type of moves that he was at Wisconsin. Oh you know? no way! So, and it, maybe this is expected. And you certainly don't want to freak out about any rookie shooting percentage. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's not great. It, a guy he does take a lot of jump shots, so there's that. Um, but you know, a guy with that size, you don't necessarily want shooting those kind of percentages. I mean, Carl Towns is shooting 53%, Okafor 48%. So, um, so there's a little bit of a gap there. You had Booker here at eight. So bringing some help behind KCP essentially. So, I mean, Stanley Johnson is more athletic than Booker is. So you're, I don't know. Why, why would you consider Booker over Stanley spots. Johnson here? I think, I think Johnson profiles as a small forward going okay. forward. And, and again, this isn't necessarily my who is the best fit for Detroit. It's just kind of who would be available as the best player, I think, at the time. And, and Booker was available to them. Uh, obviously, they went Stanley Johnson, who's actually number nine on my list, and he's number nine on your list as well. I mean, is this pretty straightforward? He's been about what people expected, I think, right? You know, I've seen one night he'll see 10 minutes, the next night he might see 20 minutes, and it's looked good at times, not so good at other times. Um, but he, I think he firmly looks like he'll at least be, you know, like a rotational guy maybe in year two. Yeah, most definitely. I know I know Van Gundy has kind of gotten on him about his defense so far. He has shown good flashes of offense. But if you look at Charlotte, again, I did this opposite of you. P.J. Harrison is starting at small forward, so maybe maybe have Johnson slot right into the starting lineup there. Um, I, I think that that's a good fit for Charlotte if you have Frank, of course, going to Detroit or wherever, or off your top ten. Um, ten, you have who – who, of course, was Winslow. He's long gone in these new drafts, most definitely. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Larry Nance Jr. for you going to the Heat. Nance Jr. is pretty high. He's gotten, obviously, a ton of run this year, but, I mean, it's Byron Scott run. Does that count? It, 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 count, <clears throat> excuse me, it counts, but maybe it doesn't count quite the same. Uh, I think he's just, he's just been good. I mean, he's been, no matter where you're looking at him, I mean, this is a guy who... His per-minute numbers look good. His shooting percentage is very good. Uh, and like you said, he's seen a ton of minutes. So this isn't something where you know, he's looked really good in the last five minutes of games when he comes in. I mean, this is a guy who's starting for the Lakers, and he's played over 700 minutes this season. Uh, that's more than, than anybody else after the 10th pick. So, I mean, it, there's 
you know, it is the Lakers. And if he was if he was with OKC or basically any other team, you know, the the Lakers were in a unique spot with a with a pick trade at twenty seven to get him. You know, he's probably in the D League for most of this year, but I think he's had an opportunity with the Lakers and he's made the most of it and you know, ten might be a little high, but he's one of the guys in this in this, you know, eighteen to thirty range. He's one of the few guys who's like really proven to look like a you know, a pretty good NBA player already. So, you know, if you're looking at like, between him and like Justin Anderson or Sam Decker or uh, you know, Kelly Oubre, it's like, yeah, Larry Nance has been objectively better than those guys thus thus far. Okay. I'll just say I picked Bobby Portis at ten going to Miami. I mean, we all know how well Doc Udonis Haslam has played too many minutes over the last five years. Chris Anderson has played too many minutes over the last five years. Bring in Portis, he can play small or yeah. power forward behind Bosch, behind Whiteside. I think he'd be a good fit. Let's talk about quickly be the players that we have left off, we both left off. So Miles Turner, that injury, we're still kind of waiting on I think him. He'll be all right. Uh Trey Lyles someone who's been starting for the jazz at power forward arguably the worst starter in the league though um who Don- else donald sloan might be might have something to say yeah. about that uh, uh well, we didn't we left off his we left off collie stein um kelly Oubre, rosier and these aren't busts by any means no. but if the franchise this could do it there's over. nobody in this draft that like you would say is a bust yet and it's so early that there shouldn't be anybody who would say as a bust, but like nobody has like w- like woefully underperformed at this point, which is good. I think that's kind of that's kind of cool that all these teams, especially at the top, can like at the bare minimum say like this guy hasn't been a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool. I think that's cool for the future of the league. You know, you have maybe none of these guys become super super superstars outside of Towns and and maybe Porzingis, but I mean, you have a crop. I think you're going to look back in four or five years and say, you know, this is a draft that really wasn't expected to be all that great, but it, you know, turned into it, it turned out a, a nice, uh, you know, yield, I guess, of of NBA players. One thing I would say, one move up that wouldn't crack the top ten, but my move up from round two where he was taking thirty two, Montres Harrell is actually fighting for time with Clint Capella and Terrence Jones. They're, those three guys are actually seeing around the similar amount of minutes. He's shown a lot of hustle, a lot of rebound. Um, he's kind of like a Quincy AC to me or somebody who's yeah, going to get you Yeah, I mean, he's like of, a poor man's Kenneth Fareed. And this, yeah. this shouldn't come as a surprise at all. I mean, this is a guy who we've seen, you know, over a large sample at Louisville be a really effective player. And, like, you know, I don't think the Rockets took him thinking, you know, this is going to be our power forward of the future. You know, you take a guy like that and say – this is someone who in year one or year two is going to be ready to be a 12 minute a game, really good minutes off the bench type of guy. And you know, and that's exactly what he is. And like his ceiling is probably pretty low overall, but you know, at that type of skill set and that type of motor, you know, you hear high motor all the time. Like he is that. And like, there are only so many guys in the league that have like the next level type of hustle plays type of rebounding ability, you know, tenacity on the glass and, you know he's he is kind of the next kind of three to me in a lot of ways, and maybe he won't quite reach that threshold. I mean, Fareed was you know, a very good player uh, not too long ago. Uh, things things have <laughs> come down a little bit since he was a yeah like Saturday. Remember that was Team good. USA FIBA? You know, it seemed a little questionable, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not terribly surprised that Harold is is getting some run. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we should do this again towards the end of the season. Yeah, I think we should. I think uh, we I should think bookmark be these or keep them at the end or something like that. And we yeah, should come back to it. Um, uh, good all around. Good, yeah, all right. So topic. before we get to trivia, just a quick word uh, from Wix.com. Do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. 
It's used by more than 75 people, 75 million people, so definitely more than 75 uh, worldwide as, as I make you spit out your water. Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designers made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer or a computer whiz to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, probably too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. That's where Wix comes in. With Wix.com, it is easy and it's free. Go to Wix, that's W-I-X.com to create your own website today. The result is stunning. All right. And with that, we move uh, to the final act of our podcast, and that is trivia. So we've, we've each been coming up, if you haven't been listening, we've each been coming up with just a handful of basically random trivia questions uh, to ask each other. Hopefully it's something that can be a little bit interactive. Uh, we certainly usually take long enough to answer them that there's plenty of time for listeners <laughs> to kind of play along. So you know, hopefully this is something that you guys have enjoyed over the past couple of weeks. If not, let us know and we'll stop subjecting you to this. Uh, but it's been fun for us, so we'll start right away, DJ. I want to ask you who won the first two NBA Defensive Player of the Year awards. So this is an award that started in 1982. So who won it in both 82-83 and 83-84? This was Pistons' bad boys era, right? Uh, a little before that, I think. Ah, uh, well, crap. <laughs> it was not a Piston. That's a. That's oh, a... nuts. Um, I mean, that was, yeah, well, that was I was going to say 80s. Rodman or Lampier or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Earlier. Big name. Uh, Hall of Famer. Bucks ties. Bucks ties. Definitely would be a buck first, I think, you know, in the minds of of most people. Jack Sigma? No. No, no. Guard. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna look foolish. Um His nickname I've never heard this, but his nickname according to basketball reference. You're just gonna make me look stupid. The squid. <laughs> the squid. <laughs> He only played one season outside of Milwaukee, if that helps. So he's certainly a, a buck in, in the memory of most. Sidney Moncrief. Oh. The Sidney Moncrief, former Bucks announcer for one memorable, colorful season. Sidney Moncrief. I, okay. What, I was just at the Bucks game the other weekend. And I should have. I literally was like looking up Sidney Moncrief stats and stuff like oh, yeah? that. Well, his, his jersey, rightly so, is hanging right. in the rafters. Definitely rightfully so. All right, here we go. Tomatoes in my face. Keep it coming. All right, it's so 0 for 1. Uh, piggybacking off that question, who are the only two players in league history to win Defensive Player of the Year four times? So four is the most that anybody's wanted. Rodman? Nope. Uh, Michael Jordan? No. I no? think he's only won one. And just one? Okay. Ben Wallace? That's one. He won four in five years. Wow. It's insane. It's <laughs> crazy. Uh, do I get a time frame for this other one or not so much? Uh, I can give you a time frame. Let's see. In, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to name like the second, you know, NBA sure. seasons are two years. So he won it in 97, 98, 01, uh, and also 95. So, you know, a guy who played into the early two thousands, but you know, was peaking in the mid to late nineties. Big man, very big man, much bigger than Ben Wallace. Rashid Wallace? No. Four-time Defensive Player of the Year. This is uh, a guy yeah, is, you act like I should know this. And I, I don't mean, like, know Rashid it. Wallace was like, No, no. I don't even know if he was like ever all defense. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I'm stuck on that Pistons team. 
Um, sounds like he always just like ate a bucket of gravel. Uh, like a lot of gravel. <laughs> Wait, quantify the gravel and then I'll know. Um, like 40 to 60 pounds. Shaquille O'Neal. Dikembe Mutombo. Oh, I'm so stupid. I mean, Shaq does sound like he's eating like a little bit of gravel, but not compared. to... I don't know to... if Shaq ever won it. I don't know. I'm just no. Shaq never did win it. Um, okay. I think he. I don't know if he was like. He's a little bit before both of our times. Yeah. I guess his peak, at least. Like, I don't know if he was ever considered like a lockdown right. defender. No. Yeah. I think he was like a shot you were, blocker re- you rebounder. Were, you were harping the weight in the deep voice, and that's kind of what I was drawn yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm sure lots of people got it out there. I'm okay. going to get the next one though. So go. You for are. It. Who's the current coach of the Brooklyn Nets? I thought I'd be able to catch you off guard. Tony Brown. It and the is. only reason I know that is because people are already looking at who the next coach is going to yep. be, and they're tweeting out, "Here's who all the Nets coaches have been over the last three years." Yep. And Tony Brown is the last one that they've tagged. I don't. On. Yeah, I don't know if he's a long term solution. There it doesn't really seem like it. Um, okay, so moving on to question number three. Which starting backcourt ranks number two and number three in total minutes played this season? So which teammates? Oh, why two and three? What do you mean? Like oh, which one starting... of the their backcourt mates. So like one of them ranks second in total minutes, one of them ranks third oh, in total minutes. Portland Trailblazers. No. McCollum and Lillard? No. Um, That's a good guess, though. That probably would have been my first guess. Oh, and overall, I thought it meant the two backcourt combined. Okay. Uh, two well, and... I mean, technically they would be the – top backcourt too um okay i want to think about a little more portland was a good guess mccollum is ninth in minutes um lillard's a little bit further down the pistons have been run into the ground this season so kcp and reggie jackson it would be an interesting guess i'll go ahead and say them Mm -mm. no total minutes played so so injuries right games somewhat come into it but i think teams have are close enough at this point that that really doesn't make that much of a difference sure harden's number one in total minutes okay demar derozan and kyle lowry derozan has played 1428 kyle lowry has played 1408 so that's five more than brandon knight has played kcp number five that was a good guess uh reggie jackson up there as well but yeah, DeRozan and Lowry. Not surprised. Heavy minutes. They yeah, put the not, not at all. Canada's on those two guys' backs. So. Yes, they have. Which of the following players has never been named the most improved player in the league? And we'll limit it even to the over just the last five seasons. So which of these guys has not won MIP? Goran Dragic, DeAndre Jordan, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Kevin Love. This is tough. Well, I think... Hmm. I think Goran's one, and I think DeAndre has. I'll say Paul George. DeAndre Jordan is the answer. Ah, okay. Paul George did win it. it yeah, I, I don't. I didn't. These must have been like their second or third years yeah. in the league for Paul George and Kevin Love, right? Yeah, Love won it. I think in like 2010-11. Uh, so kind of when he made that real leap okay. in Minnesota, and you know the same can be said about George and Butler, obviously winning it last year. Drogic DeAndre two years Jordan. ago. So yeah, DeAndre Jordan. But okay. didn't he? I threw him in there. I was like, I could see. It. I could totally see him winning that. Like I. I think a lot of people would probably assume that he's won it. He probably would have like won it last year. Yeah, that's anything. the thing. Is like, yeah, I mean, if I don't, I don't know what the voting breakdown was, um, <laughs> but he was he had to be a candidate. All right, who has more scoring titles, Kobe or AI? I think AI. Correct, four to two. 
Okay. Kobe had, I thought Kobe had su- more than two. I'm not surprised by that. Scoring title is such a fickle thing because it is. Uh, Carmelo Anthony has beaten out Kevin Durant and LeBron James multiple times, and you know he wasn't close in MVP votes. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, AI. All right, uh, question number six. Who is the only player in NBA history to ever wear the number 85? This player is now retired, but he wore it for both the Cavaliers and the Knicks within the last five years. Pretty big name guy. Pretty big name. Pretty big name. Not a, not a huge name, but pretty big. Cavs and the Knicks within the last five years. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been you know somewhere between 2011 and 2013. Guard. It's not Lou Emmonson or Amundsen or however you want to pronounce that. It's not Vladimir Redmanovich. We'll get the the, the obvious ones out of the way. Um, I'm not going to get his name. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to get his name. Baron Davis. Oh, the okay. Davis. That's not who I had in mind. I I was thinking of somebody else, and I could I see like his Sasha face. Sasha Pavlovich or something? <laughs> yeah, like Booby Gibson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Strong guesses all around. Um, but, yeah, the only player to ever wear – Okay. Number 85. Still is humming. Still kind of hear it every now and then wants to come back to the NBA. Basically every offseason, like, he'll yeah. comment at the Drew League that he's feeling good. You it's know like, what? He probably should have done it the first like, time yeah. he brought that up. Well, it's, it's like the Kings signed Rondo. There's just not a spot for him. Um, <laughs> okay, so per basketball reference, which currently active player ranks second only to Michael Jordan in career usage rate? We talked about this I think a few we, weeks I couldn't tell ago. If, okay, yeah, I couldn't remember if we did either, but either way, I think this is a good question. So... Currently active player has the second highest usage rate ever, career usage rate. Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade. Yeah, yes. we not talked Kobe, to... not LeBron, not Durant. Either way, I'm impressed you remember that. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, it. so now we'll get to what's, your, what's been your Achilles heel. <laughs> um, and I made these easy, I think, or easy, Shut easier. Up. Stop prefacing the questions Well, like I should that. say I made them easy, but like, I, like we, you know, when we first did this, I was picking like obscure guys, thinking, you know, like, but obviously that was not a good idea. So I picked more more big name guys. But we'll start, you know, in in the spirit of last night's championship game. Can you name the two NBA players from Clemson? Uh, Trevor Booker is one. Yep. He wore an absolutely ugly outfit a week ago during he the did. semifinals to his game. Um, go check it out on Twitter. The other one, I think he's currently hurt. He might not be, but I think he is. I wanted to say Derek Favors, but he actually went to Georgia Tech. See, my game plan here is to mutter players and where they went to college so i do know some of them even though it looks like Just, a, uh, yeah i know where this really guy went dumb. it might not be the right guy yeah um who's the other guy from clemson i just looked this up it is kevin kj mcdaniels i would never have got that good for him Fair. all right and there are three active players that went to alabama these are a little bit tougher mo williams mo williams is one uh, gerald wallace is from alabama although that's he's true not- but he's not active exactly Elliot Williams? He was a Duke guy. Oh, okay. You got to give him. These to next me. two are tough. Yeah. Alonzo G uh, okay. and J. Michael Green. Oh, J. Joe Michael. Joe Michael, J. Michael, whatever, the Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking okay. about. Okay. A lot of guys went to Alabama, though. I'm looking, looking back at their, at their list here. Some guys I didn't realize Antonio McDice, Robert Horry. Coach Avery's bringing him back. Oh too. no, Jar- Jarmario Davidson. <laughs> oh, that's a that's one of those draft names. Um, okay, so we'll finish out with a few more alma maters. These are, these are from a little bit more prominent players. Paul George, Fresno State. Fresno State. All right, one for one. Isaiah Thomas, Washington. 
Yes, two for two. Brooke Lopez. Stanford. Three for three. Mike Conley. And it's going to end here. Mike Conley. Big-time recruit. Package deal with another big-time recruit. Huh. Like, big, big-time recruit. USC with no. OJ? No, no. Greg, he's a high school teammate of Greg Oden, so they both went to Ohio State. Oh, my gosh. I should know that. Wow. Darren Williams. Illinois. Illinois, yes. NCAA runner-up Darren Williams. And Enos Cantor. This one is so weird. Kentucky. Yes. This is exactly. the weirdest guy so, to yes. come from Kentucky. I remember watching, you know, this was be- like when they first started airing their like Midnight Madness shows. And like this is what, like Pete Kentucky, you know, they're bringing in these big yeah. classes. And I was like, of course, like, I need to go watch this on ESPN3 on this Tuesday night. And Enos Cantor... They had like a huge stage set up the, to introduce the players. Right. You know, I mean, they you remember smoke and this everything. John Wall first introduced his uh, his John Wall dance. I guess he, I, he. I also remember he was like wearing an, like headphones while doing this. Like they're playing like extremely loud music in an arena, and he was like listening to different music <laughs> on the headphones, whatever. But Cantor was wearing like a big matador hat, and cause, you know, because he's like this. It kind of like pegged him as like this Turkish mystery man. Yeah. He's Cantor, and then of course he's end up ineligible and never played a game for Kentucky. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Just, do you think he identifies with Kentucky? Like, would he ever like go no. to a game? No. The it's only like reason Kentucky why he went to Kentucky eligible. is like, oh, Turkey, Kentucky. Yeah, that's close <laughs> enough. Well, like the intent was always to play. It's not like Kentucky suspended him. It was an NCAA thing. Yeah. Um, that forever that will be the weirdest NBA college. I think. Yes. Um, did you notice how you kind of you know livened it up with some fresher guys, some younger guys, and then yeah, I performed admirably well. I feel I feel. Do you redeemed. want me to like limit it to guys who've been drafted in the last two years or something? No, then I'm really going to get in trouble when I don't know where they You're came just, like, from. Just stack of the deck with. Yeah. I'll, how about you put the players in that you want me to ask you, and then we'll just go from there. Um. Okay. So one one final parting question. I forgot about this, and I asked James this last week as well. Uh, I think it's interesting. If you could have one item of sports memorabilia, any sport, anything, you're, you're assuming that you have the means to display it or frame it or whatever it is, you could have one item of sports memorabilia for your man cave, what would it be? <laughs> the mouth guard Ennis Cantor threw into the stadium or threw into the stand to Sacramento Kings a while back. You remember that? I do. And the guy held it up like Cantor was going to come get it. Um, that would be a starting point. That would be a good starting How would you display that? You know, just lots of lights, security guards. Like a, I, I'm picturing like a case that you would, you know, that in like a a giant diamond from like a yep, like a exactly. mystery heist movie would be displayed in yes. something like that with like mirrors. To and I would kind of like spritz it, and so right. it looks like it's glistening with his saliva. Would you get it signed? <laughs> no, I just ask him just to like put it in his mouth and then put it back on the stand. Okay. Um, in all seriousness, seriousness. By the way, I tweet that out. Like once every six months of the guy holding it up. And I say, never forget. Just it's kind of anyway. Just to make sure nobody ever forgets. Exactly. Uh, Do you have any NBA memorabilia? I have jersey, like, like jerseys and stuff. Like signed or anything? Like any like game use things? Um, No. I've actually been thinking about, I got, I got some cool Christmas presents where I went out and got some memorabilia and there's lots to be had for NBA. But I don't have anything. And there's nothing specifically that comes to my mind. Um, I did just get for Christmas a Kevin Durant Seattle Super Supersonics jersey that I love. What and style? So, um, green. 
like, like green the, with like the, the band across okay, the Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, in all honesty, if you would have asked me this question before Christmas, that's what I would have told you. Okay. So that's uh, Kevin Durant, Supersonics jersey. Wouldn't mind a Collison one either. Game Collison would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, well, I don't really have much for memorabilia right now either. I have a, I think it's still hanging in my closet at my parents' house back home in Green Bay, but I have a game program that is signed by the great TJ Ford. Yes. Uh, I remember going up to him. This is like after the the scary injury when he was still with the Bucks, mm-hmm. and like he was sitting in like general seating for whatever reason, like behind the basket after the game. And I remember I, I went up to and asked his daughter if she would give it to him to sign. Wow! And he said yes, of course. So great guy. I have a Strohmile Swift game used headband, <laughs> which I wore for like my entire eighth grade season after I got it, despite it like not even being my team's colors at all. I was just like. <laughs> No, this is gonna no. You guys don't understand. Like Strohmile Swift wore this. Like, if you do you know who that is? And by the time I think by the time people started to realize who he was, he was out of the league. Uh, but my answer to this is obvious, and it would be the Ron Artest jersey from Malice at the Palace. Oh, and like, it's torn and ripped down. Right, I would want that. Like, you know, framed jerseys look cool, but like a framed Artest jersey with the, with the with, neck pulled yes. like down to, down to the belly button, I that's think good. would be awesome. And I don't know if that's available anywhere. Ron maybe just like wears that around around his house. I could see that. Uh, I'm going to have a better answer for you next week because I really okay. want to think about yeah, it. This, this is, is this a great lot. question. Um, I want to think about it, but I love the Ron Artest thing. Love yeah, it. I think something game used, you know, something some, something from like a moment, you know, or like, I don't know. I mean, there's so many cool moments. Like if, you, if you really, if you could bring in other sports. I, oh, okay, what about the broom? The broom that was brought out onto the court. Um, oh, of course, we're going to end what? on something that we both don't know. The, there was a famous NBA fight where somebody grabbed a broom and they brought it onto the court. We're going to hit. We got to. How end long the, ago is this? Uh, all right, let's just end on a cliffhanger. We'll come back yeah. and, and and we'll we'll pick it up from there. Tune in next time to find out about <laughs> the broom. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.